listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wire World Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Starting over here, we've got Mr. Bobby Osiski. Bobby, it's so good to see you, buddy. Good to see you too, Mike. Hi, everybody. Good to be here. Next, we've got Mr. Nick Peck. Nick. Hello, Mike. Hello, gentlemen. It is so good to see you all. Another happy Thursday with us together again. Uh, and then we have Mr. Brandon Birdside. Hey, Mike, everybody. Good to see everyone. And then we have Mr. SoundLab, a keyword studio, Scott Gershon. <laughs> Uh, and finally, last but not least, the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcasts, Mr. 206 in a row, Rob Arbiter. Hello, everyone. How's everybody doing? Barely hanging in there, brother. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm ready to go out. I'm ready to do something else, okay? As much as I love this stuff. Uh, and joining us today, we are honored and and grateful, actually, to have with us Mr. Glenn Darcy. Hello. How are you guys? And Glenn has an amazing synthesizer that we're going to talk about. Um, it's the Hydra um, synth, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Hydra synth? Yep. Hydra synth. Yeah. And it's hardware, and it's amazing, and I wish I would have done a little bit more homework before <laughs> but uh we've got plenty of guys that have played it and can talk about it but just i'm just gonna i'm gonna give you one sentence before we dive into it just to show you how sexy this thing is with its 32 slot modulation matrix that just sounds sexy 32 <laughs> slot modulation matrix like the world would be a better place if everything had a 32 slot modulation matrix <laughs> but uh, but anyhow, I um, hope everybody's doing great. Uh, and this is our ninth. This is our ninth podcast since we started the weekly podcast. And I'll be honest, guys, I thought this was going to go on for maybe three weeks, and then we go back to our normal. But then I, I just like, you know what? I made a commitment. I gotta, I gotta stick to it. And thank goodness everybody's sticking to it. But yeah, we're on our ninth week, and slowly but surely things are opening up. And um, the Grammy Academy just released their uh, recommendations for studios opening up. So it'll be really interesting these next couple of weeks and how it's all going to play out and how we're all going to roll out to get the studios up and running. Um, there's been some really, uh, you know, I've seen some studios that have gone under and seen some studios that are for sale, you know, and it's just, man, what a, what a, just a horrible time. But um I don't know. Oh, let, let me tell you something about that. I have a good friend who's a session musician who just did a session at a major Hollywood studio today. And he said it was open illegally because it's not, you know, something that um, is essential. But that being said, they've been doing sessions for a week. Two out of the three studios were booked. No face masks. Wow. Wow. And, and apparently what happened was they opened up last week. After the first three days of face masks, everybody said, screw this. And they've been working without them since. Kind of scary. That's, uh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting, you know. I mean, 
to me that there's a certain amount of uh, desperation in the act for people to get back, for people to do work. But yeah, that's definitely, that's, that's. It just seems, well, it just means the guitar center is going to start to sell ventilators. (laughs) I'm just going to throw a couple of numbers out there. So this is what, this is the end of May. 100,000 COVID cases in the state of California, 4,000 deaths in the state of California, over 100,000 deaths in the United States. Uh, 1.7, 1.8 million COVID cases in the United States and 5.8 million cases in the world. So I'm terrified. Um, I just want to add to that, that I had four members of my family back East last week got diagnosed with, oh, with the, the virus. And it oh. happened at a, at a gathering where they got together and it, so it's like, I don't know. You know, you, you hear all this stuff, but just err on the side of safety, I guess. But um, are they sick, Mike? Um, they are. One of them, actually, two of them are are really ill. But it's like a like a bad flu. Um, my aunt, um, she's feeling a little ill. We're we're monitoring her the closest because she's the oldest. You know, she's in her seventies or late seventies. So we we're trying to to see how that's going. So. We're hoping for the best and, you know, just seeing when it's gone. But it's basically it hit one family that, that got together and it's just, I don't know. So, um, but the younger ones, like the cousin that's my age and his wife, they're, they're sick, but it's like a bad flu right now. So we're just kind of seeing how far, how far it gets. So it's just, it's interesting. And, you know, and I'm not, look, I'm not on a high horse. I'm not saying, you know, I can understand why people want to do this kind of stuff because that you got to get back to work. You know, I actually was on a small set um, because I have this jib arm that they needed to use. So I went and I, and it was great to get out and do some work and I worked a small shoot. And when I say small, there was about maybe 10 people there and everybody was masked up and everybody had hand sanitizers and everybody for the most part um, did their social distancing. I decided they shot in this small room and I wasn't needed. So I just stayed outside the whole time. And then my shot was outside. So I had my, my jib and everything set up so that I could run that. And so I just did my thing. And then when I was done, I packed up and I left, but um, you know, people got to get back to work and, and it's just this really crazy thing, you know? Um, my neighbor is a foreman for um, construction sets on the studio lots. And she was telling me that they're having a really hard time coming up with a protocol to keep everything clean because in construction, there's lots of big power tools. Everybody has to use them. So they're having a difficult time. And also, a lot of the stuff is stored in wooden structures. So you can't sanitize wood. So that means that they'll have to tile everything up. So they're thinking about using fog machines, just like they use on, on you know, stage. And you, uh, putting sanitizer in the fog machine, because apparently that's what they were originally made for. Wow. <clears throat> so we'll see. They haven't you know, figured it out yet. It's really interesting, but from everything that I read, it's like 
transmission from touching things is hard to do. It's not impossible to do, but it's hard to do. So um, that's why like the CDC doesn't even necessarily recommend gloves as much as it recommends hand sanitizer. So that I just got used to just washing my, my hands and, and, just sanitizing my hands, especially when I was on the shoot. And I'll tell you, the mask is a pain in the butt, but I kept it on because two reasons. Number one, you know, if, if I coughed, I didn't want my particles to go flying. And second of all, it just keeps you from touching your face. You, you don't, it just, just one, one thing, you know, is it going to, is the virus small enough to get through? Yes. And all, all that stuff. And I, we're not going to get into that, but it's just, it's just a, another added piece of safety in it. And for me, I think it, it did a, a good job and I came in and out. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, uh, not that we're going to stay on the, on the virus. We're going to move on. Before we talk to Glenn and about his amazing synth, um, I wanted to bring up something that was in the news and it got me thinking about a bigger issue. And, and, we're, and basically, you know, what came back up was the whole Taylor Swift thing and about wanting to control her masters and the wholesale and all that. We're not going to get into that, but it got me thinking because uh, Selena Gomez's mom said something at the very end where it said, you know, all young artists should, um, you know, should own their creativity. And that in theory, that sounds great, but in practice, that's really hard to do because you know, there's a lot of people that are investing money in, in young artists and it got me thinking about ownership. And, and how many of you guys have had a collaboration where you bring somebody in to play a part and they'll play a part and it might be, you know, a really, you know, uh, featured part it might be a really great little, little rift. And then they go around and, and you know, Hey, thanks. So you pay them and they go and you hear nothing about that. But then you hear about stories that were, they come in, they play the rift and now they want some publishing on it because of the rift is such a big part of that song. And, and it got me thinking about ownership and where that line is. And I'm glad you're here, Bobby, because I, I want to talk to you really quick about, about ownership and about things like that. Can you, if you get hired as a session musician, you pretty much sign all your rights away, right? When you, when you go in and you start recording for that song, right? Well, it's a work for hire. So yeah. As a matter of fact, this is something that, going back to the Wrecking Crew and even before, all the session music, musicians would always say, look, we, what we played, what we came up with, made that song, made those hits. And, of course, they don't get credited with that. that that's the, the life of a session musician. Because you... Carol Kay, the whole Mission Impossible line, dom, dom, da, da. She, she was the one who wrote that. It wasn't written for her. She came up with it. And that is the signature sound of the, the beat goes on as well, Carol. Yeah. Yep. And, and, but that, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's why you get hired. They want your creativity, right? They want you to bring something to the table. Um, right. I mean, am I, am, am I, the question is residuals is when people get paid and it keeps paying for 20 years and, you know, five, six songs and you retire but the people that came in and made their thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars, they, you know, in and out. It depends obviously what you said. Yeah, but if it wasn't for the person that hired you to have that whole vehicle in the first place, like to have the session and to get the job to write the music, you wouldn't have that gig at that time. I mean, there's just Yeah, but you just don't know when you hire somebody whether they're going to come up with the magic or not. 
because maybe they'll come in and 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 you won't use anything that they they play. That's you don't I mean, know. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you're taking a gamble. I mean, it's kind of like when young artists hook up with a producer and you see it all the time. Here's this producer who's maybe not going to take any money up front and it's going to do a split deal or 360 or something like that. And then the the music hits and then the artist, the first person they'll turn on is whatever that producer was that, that brought him to this part, you know, because when you start talking real dollars and real cents, all of a sudden this guy is no longer the guy that made me. He's an enemy and he's, he's, you know, he's uh, somebody who's just trying to make a living off of my creativity, you know, quote. But it, it is interesting. Like when I was doing commercials, I would see producers go, Hey, give me a cool drum beat. And the guy lays down a beat and they get a guitar player. Give me a little something like this. And what's happening is they wrote nothing, none of it. They told each musician to do something said, Ooh, I like that. I like that. I like that. And then they get the music writing credit, but they didn't really write or come up with anything. But I know a lot of session players now that say, if you do that, I have to get some of the writer's share because if you're not putting a sheet of music, Tina Guo being one of them, if you're, if I'm not playing and you're not writing, and if I'm writing, I have to get writer's credit because otherwise I'm writing the music. I'm not, but if you put a sheet of music and I'm playing it, well, then, then I'm just a session player. Maybe. James Brown. Everything James Brown ever did was done that way, where he'd just go in and say, play something like this. Now do this. Now do this. And without anything written. Yeah. All, those, all those guys were bitter. But I don't think that's – yes, they're bitter, but James Brown put the session together. That's, where it's, that's the thing. It's like if you but come in – hold on, hold on. If you come in as a session player, you're going to – you're going to contribute to the session. Now, if you want to do your own thing, then do your own thing. But if, if I'm going to facilitate getting this drummer, getting that guitar player and getting that bass player, giving you a theme, giving you an idea and say, okay, what can you come up with me? That's what I'm paying you for. Plus you're investing you, the person who is the producer, who's creating the gig, you know, you're also putting your money on the line, right? So, you Absolutely. know, so there, you know, there's, you're the one who's putting the risk in. It's not even, it's, you, you go Rob. Okay. I was just going to say, and maybe I'm a sucker because in the past when I've hired a session person and I knew that I was going to rely on them to come up with like a major piece of whatever we were doing, especially commercial or something short form where some signature was going to be so critical. I would, I would cut them in on the writing. Um, and the thing is as the producer of the session, you, you benefit from, you benefit in all kinds of other ways besides getting people to come in and write the stuff for you and you taking the credit for it. So I think, and I think Bobby Summerfield has a pretty good uh, history of this too. If, if you bring somebody in on a project and they're a session player, but they truly bring amazing magic. Like I'm not a guitar player. So I know if I'm doing something that's going to be guitar heavy, chances are one of my guitar player friends who comes in to do the session is going to really be contributing to the writing. The thing I will say is always work out the deal beforehand though. Don't wait until afterwards. Yeah. And say, Oh, well, it seemed like you did something cool. So we'll pay you. That's the rule for writing. Even if you sit down with a friend to write a song, have the deal worked out before the first note gets played. Because it's super easy to work it out beforehand and really contentious to work it out afterwards. So true. Were you going to say something, Scott? Yeah, you know, it's... Um, um, there's a lot of people that are salespeople who have relationships, they have the schmooze, they have the business. And they can hire the creatives. So what's interesting is when we start getting into uh, creative rights, 
is it the guy you when you say like I created the session so I hired you but then I get you know there's uh, there's a lot of people who have done that I remember the Saturday uh, the Saturday morning cartoons he had a bunch of writers and he, they all wrote the music and he got all the residuals because he was the he was the deal maker so again when you go back to the why are there Saban. 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 Yeah. yeah. I am Saban. Yeah. And Chaim <laughs> would, and I know so many of the composers, and they just grinded it out. Yeah. And Chaim made a fortune. Um, is it right? No. Does it happen? Yes. So I think the point is the, the writer's rights was if I'm a performer, I should be able to get a residual or some kind of creative rights. The moment you sign it away, it happens all the time. But is it right? I don't think so, actually. I think that's the difference between a producer who gets paid for something. Like when I had my composers, they always got uh, uh, ASCAP and BMI. We got the session. We hired everybody. Like you said, we made the investment. But they would get the writer's residuals all the time. We, we wouldn't. Why would we get that? We didn't do it. Yeah, and actually a corporation funnily enough, can't get a writer's share. Only a writer can get a writer's share. Um, The other thing that I was going to say briefly along these lines is I think this is one of the inequities that unions have tried to address, right? So let's say that you're, you know, you really put your, your heart and soul into being the best musician you can, and you're good enough to join the union. You're part of the American Federation of Musicians, or, you know, you're a singer that's being hired to be able to come in and do a date. First of all, you know, there are structures in place to make sure that you're getting paid very well for that session. But in addition, Scott, I don't know if you've had this experience, but certainly I have to be very careful um, about knowing that if I take some content in which I'm having somebody work with me in the studio, and then we reposition it to be able to use it for something else, there's a royalty payment that comes up. Oh, yes. And so that person is getting paid again. Now, it's not the same thing as, you know, a freelance producer coming in and making a lot of money, but um, you know, I mean, there are. I, I, I'm very glad that there are mechanisms like that in place to be able to help people. Yeah, well, but that's on a union session. Yeah, I, I right. will... it's not on an it's not on a non-union thing. It's not a work for hire thing. Exactly, and you're right, Bobby. You know, see, I don't think it's a matter of right and wrong, though, Scott. I don't think it's right or wrong if a, if somebody hires somebody for their creativity, they add something for it, they give them a check and they go away. Because like Rob is saying, if, if that's your deal you make up, that's your deal you make up. But I will tell you this. But I don't think you, that's hold, 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 I think it's recession. Right, but hold, hold on one second. But reputations go a long way in this town. And if you're going to be that kind of a producer that does that kind of stuff, I think you're going to find it harder and harder for people willing to come in and to, to release that kind of creativity. So like Rob was saying, it, it makes sense if you get all of this worked out up front, everything, every, what's going to happen. And I think if everybody goes in with their eyes wide open as to the creativity and what we're doing here, I think that's, that's the best way. And sometimes you're going to be able to get it, but sometimes you're not going to be able to get it. I, I know for a fact it, it works both ways. And I think that, that with that, in post-production, there are no residuals. Right. For the most part. So it's, it's, it, you get hired for a project. And that's what I am for. So if you're a producer and someone says, I want you to create the music and we're going to do it and we get a payment, then I'm fine with that because there's no residual. There's no performance. There's no writers afterwards. 
Um, so yes, and, I, and I'm totally for that. But the moment you get into residuals, when the businessman, the broker, the sales guy, starts taking a piece of the action and they don't have a creative bone in their body, that's basically taking advantage of creative people. And that's what I'm against. If you want to make money for the session and say, hey, look, I got paid 40 grand, I'll pay you 20 grand or whatever, then that's an agreement for that one-time fee. You do the gig and you're done. But the, in the spirit of residuals, in the spirit of writers, of getting money for a performance that gets repeated, and if you do nothing on the performance of the writing, I don't see why you should be getting paid. Is my, my thought. No, it's, it's a great thought. Although it's, like I said, it's not right or wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, it's if you hire that person or you don't hire the person. The good thing about being a creative is you can control your own destiny. You can control whether or not you're going to go in to that session or not go into that session. That's, that's just the way we, we can handle it here. But, you know, I, I admit, though, there's a, there's a certain like sleaze factor about, about that. And, there's like a, and, and it, doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. I, I will 100% give you that. It's just, I think people just have to be aware, especially now, like there's all this collaboration that's going on now that we're all in, you know, in the staying in and working in our studios. And, uh, and I just think you just have to be really, you know, there has to be a lot of communication. And you just have to be aware of what's going on, you know, especially like things like sound effects, right? Like Brandon in your business, I mean, you come in and like you, they pay for every little swoosh and hit and everything that you're, that you're working on. Right. I mean, that's basically, but he's a composer. Well in the, yeah, I mean, in the production music world, I, you know, there's two sides of it. Sometimes I do custom stuff. So in that case, you know, you're coming in and doing it, you know, on spec for a trailer house, you know, maybe they'll give you a kill fee if it doesn't end up finishing. Um, But you're doing it with the hope that it finishes and then you can, negotiate a license deal with the studio and they pay you for it. But in trailers, there's, it's an upfront thing. There's not usually uh, a back end on trailers as opposed to, you know, regular music. So there's that. But um, back to your original point, Mike, about young, young composers and stuff wanting to, uh, or somebody said that they should, you know, own the rights to their music or whatever. That's the goal. You know, that's the end goal for everybody. At the beginning of your career, you may not be able to do that. You know, because you don't, like you're saying, you don't have the facilities to maybe produce it and publish it and all that stuff. So and sometimes you have to partner up. Was it, but the but end goal I, is to, yeah, go ahead. But I totally agree with you, but that's why there's writers and publishers. The publishers control the content and that, in other words, I paid for it. So I should be able to control how it's used. So you get half and I get half. And I think that totally makes sense. Yeah. If you own the publishing, great. But if you don't, you get the writers the person who laid out the money, the business person gets the publishing. And again, that again, makes sense. Well, we're going to, we're going to table this conversation because I want to get to talking with Glenn, but for the last word, I want to go back to Bobby Osinski. Bobby, if you're creative and you're, and you're starting off as like a songwriter um, or musician, like what kind of advice do you give as far as your content and your creative, uh, properties like how much control realistically can you have or how much you know do you do you expect to you know let go of some of this when you're first starting i think the biggest thing is you need the credit more than anything sure. because the credits are going to get you more work down the line so to try to keep everything 
keep ownership in lieu of working more, I think is ludicrous. And what's going to end up happening is it's going to stifle your career. So, you know, in general, I, I looked at some of the contracts. As a matter of fact, I just found one the other day of, um, I, I wrote some songs for Baywatch. Remember Baywatch? Yeah. And I just found the contracts. And there was a third writer. That it was my writing partner and myself, and there's a third writer on there, and I've forgotten all about that. And the third writer was actually the person that brokered the deal that insisted being, getting a writer's credit. So when you're young, you have no choice. What was I going to say? No, and then not not make anything. That's so, that's so true. Oh my gosh, I I forgot about those kind of stories. The broker, the guy who brokers the deal. Quick story on that. My friends, and they've actually been a, a guest on the podcast. They're composers from Texas, uh, Mike and Mark Stitz. They worked at a studio and they were songwriters. And the guy who basically owned the studio, who was also a songwriter came in they had written a song and it was going out and he insisted that he put his name as a songwriter because his thoughts were they were around him and he was such an awesome songwriter that he helped inspire them to write this song no lie that much ego was involved so oh my <laughs> so I write crazy. the songs exactly. to make the whole world sing. That's so, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. That story just made that so, oh man. Well, Bobby, great advice. That's so true. And I, I can't, thank you. Thank you. That was really awesome. All right, let's switch gears and let's talk about gear. Let's talk about gear. And Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. And um, really quick, just tell us a little bit about your, your new Hydrosynth and tell us, just, just give me a really quick pitch about that thing because it looks awesome the more I start reading about this. Um, the Hydrosynth is a, uh, a pure digital synth. Uh, it's, we call it a wave morphine synthesizer. It's not typical wavetable. Most wavetable synths give you this sound to this sound and fill it with 64 or 128 or however many iterations in between those two waves. Uh, we give you a big bank of 219 different single cycle waves and you can put any of those into eight slots and morph through them. So you can kind of create your own wave tables. Um, besides that, then we have uh, processors afterwards. So you can do things like pulse width modulation on any of those waveforms. Um, you can do FM synthesis. You can, what else can you do? There's a few different modes of pulse width mod that we have in there. Um, you do the wave stacking. There's, there's a whole lot of process in the oscillators before you ever hit filters. So the, the, I'd say probably about 70% of the sounds that I made for factory stuff, I didn't even use filters on it. I did it all like you would in FM or additive or wave morphing and and build it all on the front end um so you have three oscillators two of those oscillators have the wave morphing um you can then go into mixing bank you can pan the oscillators in there you can route the oscillators to filter one or two you have two filters they can be series or parallel um, filter one has a bunch of different models of filters uh, like 11 different models um, and filter two is more of your a state variable kind of sweepable, low pass, fan pass, high pass uh, type of filter. 
Um, then you go into your typical VCA and then out to a bunch of effects. Um, but it's got five LFOs and five envelopes. And the envelopes can work as LFOs because they have looping mode and the LFOs can work as envelopes because they have one shot mode. And then you have 32 modulation matrix slots so you can route kind of anything to anything to anything. That, <clears throat> I'm, I'm looking at the specs and it's, wow, it's so overwhelming. And one of the things that really sticks out is the CV gate um, interface that you have on this thing, which is freaking cool. That's so awesome, you know? And uh, there's just so much control. If you were to like try to describe, since this is a, a, an a, you know, a, a audio podcast, um, like how would you describe the sound of it? In, in is it is it aggressive? Is it does it can it do it all? Can it do the 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 patty can, stuff? Kind of do a, a little bit of everything. <coughs> um, there's patches on there that are straight up uh, analog sounding. Uh, I've got a bunch of other. Overheim Expander and Prophet 5 over here and an Overheim 4 voice and stuff. I, I can do most of the sounds that those can do. Yeah, there's going to be the nuanced aspects of it. But um, you can do everything from analog stuff to straight up FM, you know, DX7 things to PPG stuff to Prophet VS stuff. It can kind of cover all those areas and some more areas in there too that haven't really been done. Um, so it's really versatile. Um, we wanted to make it versatile. We, you know, it, it's our brand's first product. So we kind of wanted to come in and, and make a statement piece. So. Brandon, were, statement. were you going to say something, Brandon? Yeah. Hey, Glenn. Um, so I'm familiar with wavetables in the box, like Serum comes to mind. I use that a lot. I use uh, Massive and I use uh, in uh, Ableton, they have uh, their own uh, wavetable yeah. synth. Um, how would you say, and I haven't had a chance to listen to your synth yet, it sounds awesome, but how would you compare the sound to like the sound and capabilities to like what those guys do and like how does yours set itself apart from those guys? Um, you could do similar things. I'd say like with Massive, the wavetables again are preset. Um, so it's going to go from this sound to this sound. You can't pick and choose which sound it's going to go from and to uh, within it. And that's kind of the difference. Um, you know, back when uh, Scott and I were uh, in our uh, our twenties, which was probably about three or four years ago, right? Um, <laughs> we uh, we went to Berkeley College of Music, and we'd be talking about Fairlights and Synclads and stuff. Well, the Fairlight and the PPG had a similar wavetabling thing of you could sit there and and you had slots, but you could fill the slots with whatever waveform you wanted, um, and then it would build the, the interpolations between it. And we've kind of gone a similar way to what PPG did uh, back in those days. But we have eight slots, so you can kind of build how you want the wave to change over time. But that's just one small aspect of it. I mean, you can just call it the straight up sawtooth wave and, you know, make your favorite jump or Tom Sawyer patches if you want to. <laughs> and also having, um, you know, Glenn invited me to his house quite a while ago and, and said, by the way, I want to show you what I'm working on. And, and we, I've been a synthesis enthusiast since we were both students together. And we would always talk about, you know, what if, and maybe we could, and, and I see this as part of Glenn's dream, you know, just 
background for Glenn. Glenn worked at, at Roland. He worked at uh, building stuff at Aturia. He's got a huge, huge history of working and since he he modded Jupiter 8s, I remember for me. And oh, I can make that much better. <laughs> so he's been active in this industry for very, very, very long time. And when I saw this, I kept laughing because it was everything we talked about, like like <laughs> at poly aftertouch. I mean, we you've been talking about that for decades, your know, true yeah. poly. And when I saw what was in it, when I heard it, you know, you're asking, okay, but what does it feel like? It's fat. It can go from being really thick fat uh, um, and just rock the room to something simple, Lyle Maisy, kind of fluty, yeah. and, and everything in between. So it feels like it's a lot of technologies that, and the versatility. And what I like, just from my sound design side, it has got great form and vocal filters, so it can make things kind of feel like they're talking. Um, in a really, and I just, if anything, uh, uh, my my crew and I, because my crew is starting to buy these, uh, and everybody's ones become huge fans. We're all asking, can we have an audio input into uh, to be able to process, you know, sounds through the system uh, in real time? Well, you, you can, you, you can? can in mono. Mm. So there's a trick. Um, the CD, the CD inputs. Yeah. The mod one two inputs can go from these audio ranges, um, so you can actually bring because the structure is so modular within the ring modulator. You can pick the two inputs, so you can pick input one as modulation in one, route an audio signal into there, set your ring mod depth to zero, so it's not modulating it, and that's bringing audio directly in. It's only going to deal with mono audio, but but yeah. There's a hack to be able to do I've only got one mouse. That, you know what? That is such a great I, I'm looking at the synth right now. And you know what, guys? I'm gonna share the screen really quick because I'm I'm on your page and I just want to got show, a ribbon controller. And I want to show people um let me let me just share this so that I can at least show people what's going on. So that's the picture of the synth right there. And and Glenn, I got to tell you, the input that you have right here, the location of that is so smart. Instead of being on the back, it's right there, right there on top where you can have access to it. So that just lends itself to way more experimental, um, you know, patching and stuff like that. I, I think that's brilliant. It's such a good looking synth too. I want to jump in here for a quick sec because I want to talk about something about the hydrosynth that, that nobody's talked about yet. Um, so about three, four months ago, back before the world went upside down, there was a synth meet in, in LA that I went to, uh, you know, a lot of uh, modular stuff. And there was the hydrosynth sitting there. I hadn't seen one before. And whoever it was that was showing it was occupied. He was doing something else. I sat down and with nobody telling me anything about it, with my never having seen it before, um, I was actively changing the sound and experimenting with it and not just flipping through patches, but tweaking the thing within two, three minutes. And, you know, I spent a half an hour on the thing and it was absolutely delightful. And the thing that really struck me, aside from the sound and like the sort of gorgeous liquid reverb, as I recall, um, was just the beauty of the design and the intuitive nature um, 
Glenn, that you and your team put into the design. It was really easy and intuitive for somebody who had never seen it before, albeit someone who's a synthesist, but you know, who'd never seen it before to be able to come up and start rocking on it right away. Yeah, I had, yeah, I had the UI was really designed to be, be really flexible, really deep and really easy. And, and that's, that's difficult to design to do UI. Um, but as uh, myself, my product manager, Dominic Al, and our director of engineering, uh, Chen Jijun, and really the three of us that came all together with the UI and how it formed. And, and yeah, when we got the first working prototypes, it was like, wow, hey, it, it actually does things the way we wanted it to as far as quick and ease of use. So. And I, I had the same reaction. I played with it at the NAMM show, and I've known Glenn, we've been friends for decades, but when I started playing, and I hadn't seen him in a while, so we caught up briefly, and then I started playing with the synth, and then... I was totally just absorbed by it because yeah. it makes you want to grab the knobs. It makes you want to, you know, really perform with it. And I, I just loved it. I like the knobs for the appreciator. Like, look at all those knobs that you have and all the buttons. I mean, you just, you, that just screams experimental. That just screams. You just want to go out and try stuff and touch things and do that. You know, sometimes you have certain, uh, it, that's the problem with soft sense for me is sometimes, you know, some of the fun stuff is buried so deep into the, the actual synth and windows that you can't easily get to it and having knobs and, and things that you can just, you know, or just a button push away. That's, that's, it's phenomenal. I can't wait. And I, and I love he's got on the knobs like when you're selecting the different oscillators, you see there's mini screens. Yeah. So it's not like you turn a knob and something's going on, but you can't really see what's going on. He's got, there's visual information all over it that that are just you know crazy and if i recall they're OLEDs, kind of... right so they look really spendy i mean they're very they're very beautiful and very easy to be able to see small fonts that way like our, our product manager came up with uh dominic came up with the idea of flashing the um uh, the envelope and lfo select buttons at the rate or at the amplitude of the envelope, so that when you can look down, you've got a complicated patch. I can press the note and look down, and I can see what my envelopes are doing by just looking at the LEDs on the things. And, and that's and, so important. That is, it's like, especially if you do a live performance and you want to get sync, and and you're looking at your. I mean, it's just so important to have that kind of visual. Glenn, show them the other product behind you. That's the non-keyboard version. Because oh, yeah, versions. so we've got the. We've got both, uh, let me turn it on here. Uh, just, I can unplug it here real quick. So that's the desktop version of it. Um, so it's got pads, trigger pads. So yeah, you can play the pads. Um, you know, one thing, one of my favorite synths is this uh, Waldorf Microwave XT. The one thing I don't like is that anytime I'm doing sound design, I have to like touch a different thing or be like one hand over here and one hand over here to tweak the knobs. And so I just wanted to put something where I could actually play some notes on it while I'm doing sound design. Now, there's younger, more DJ pad based uh, musicians that have kind of adopted these and they sit there and they just play off the pads directly and, and they're very sensitive. They all have poly after touch. You can set different scales. There's different modes. Uh, one of them is a fretboard mode even. So if you know your guitar uh, scales, you can sit there and play your guitar scales up the thing. 
Yeah, so it, it works out. I wanted to have both the desktop and the and the keyboard ship at the same time. They sell to two different markets. Let me ask you a quick question because um, it's phenomenal. It looks like there's a lot of work that goes into this. How long was this in development? Like, when did you start prototyping? Like, what's it take to go from idea into <laughs> into this? But to actually um, like start breadboarding and all that, like. Well, the, the engineers that I've worked with, they're really, they're some of the best engineers I've ever worked with. I've worked at a lot of great companies. Uh, I started at 360 System back in the 80s. Oh my gosh. Went to Roland, went to Roland for about seven years, worked at Akai, as head of product development for Akai, then head of product development for Arturia. The engineers I'm working with now are, are kind of next level guys. They, there's stuff that Dominic and I, we'd come up with an idea and we'd have a working version within a week. Wow. So uh, this project was less than two years. Wow. Um, which I've worked on software projects for other companies that took two years. Th there's another product that was shipped that shipped at NAM, and it's one of my product ideas. And I left the company two and a half years ago, and it's just now shipping. And it's pretty simple. And it was like, okay, yeah, uh, you know, working with uh, and a pretty incredible crew. That's amazing. Two years to, to develop that. That's, that's quick. Just from having friends in the industry, that's a, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Glenn, were you uh, able to use a lot of off-the-shelf hardware, particularly in terms of CPUs and stuff, to, you know, to get a head start in terms of that development? Um, we used an off-the-shelf off thing for like the general screens and knob reading, regular like, uh, STM. But for the DSP, it's actually one that's designed by uh, by Medley and the engineers and the parent company are, are Medley. So they made their own DSP. So it's a proprietary DSP. The effects chips are their own proprietary chips that they've made as well. So the engineers know the, the chip really well. They actually program all the DSP in assembly language. Um, so it's really tight, really compact, really fast. Um, they use C for like higher level stuff like MIDI handling and and again, screens and knobs and that kind of in the STM, but uh, in the DSPs themselves, they're, they're doing assembly language stuff in there. So yeah, they know the system pretty well. Brandon, were you gonna say something? Yeah, so while you guys are chatting, I put myself on mute and had to listen to some of your demos um, on the website. And there's one called In Your Face. That's, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Sounds awesome. It's like a really cool distorted pitch bendy thing like what I would do in trailers. Um, yeah, it's awesome. It sounds really good. Well done. I think you just sold <laughs> six of them. Yeah, no, I was actually listening uh, to the uh, tutorial also, and I was like, I mean, not the tutorial, the demos, and uh, and I was amazed. It sounds so great, and it has, it has, like, there was one part of the demo that had like, like you were talking about, Nick, it had like a liquidy vibe about it, and it's just really cool it's it, it's it, it could go that that you know obviously that aggressive sound but to hear that little liquidy like thing about it was was pretty cool it's it's great it's fantastic what is it, yeah, what it is can it? do it can do sparkly additive and sparkly fm and then it can do really deep deep thick bass stuff as well so so uh what's the what's the price what's the list price on on the oh, this end get ready for this guys um, seven ninety nine on the desktop, twelve ninety nine on the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, golf clap. Wow. wow. 
When I, when I met with Glenn, he's like, what wow. And I'm thinking 3500 And he told me the price. I was like, pretty much almost fell off my chair. Yeah, I had one one dealer. We said, how much should it be? And the dealer said, we were thinking 3500 but three. if you could do 3000 it would be a great deal. Oh, my gosh. That desktop one is gorgeous. Like, that's the – I don't need another keyboard, but, man, I love all those knobs, and I, I – oh, that, that is fantastic. I that, hope well, that the, price The keyboard point is probably aftertouch, though. So the keyboard itself is unique in that, you know, you want to do kind of that Vangelis type of stuff yeah, where you can play a chord and accentuate single notes. You can do it on this. And, and I've, I've got a couple other poly aftertouch keybeds here. Uh, the Prophet T8 was probably the best feeling one. Um, and so we kind of modeled what the feel was on this off of the Prophet T8 feel. And I think that in the production versions, we actually exceeded uh, the feel quality on it. Glenn, I, I, I really want to um, compliment you on the price point. Not, not for, you know, those of us that are very experienced, but I love that idea because it means that, you know, people that are younger, that are just starting beginning synthesists can, you know, experiment with hardware based stuff and realize how different it is and what the tactile experience is and how different that is from working with a software synth. So very yeah. cool. Yeah, thank you. That, and is that a is that a surge uh, module up on the very top of your? System? It is indeed. It is, it is oh, a handmade nice. a handmade surge module of which. Oh, beautiful! You and I will talk offline, but yeah, I okay. built most of it. Yeah, myself. nice. Yeah. Uh, so, is the is the synth that's shipping now? Is it shipping now? Yeah, it's been shipping since uh, December. They keep selling out. They got to keep making more. That I, you know, well done though. Congratulations, because yeah. that it couldn't. Yeah. It, a, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Actually, as we're talking, Glenn, um, we've wanted to have you on this podcast for a while. Way yeah, back. You know what? But he's not that nice. <laughs> <laughs> we can all agree. Right, Scott? What did you say? Uh, you know. <laughs> no, you're, so right, uh, you're right, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great because Rob had told me about back in the Arturia days. And, uh, and so it was, it's an honor to have you <clears throat> finally sit in with us. And, oh, uh, and, and especially to show this product because, man, what a great, like, there's nothing better than seeing a new piece of synth, a, a new piece of gear that just takes it to another level and goes a different direction, you know, and it just gives you another you know, tool for your, uh, your creativity. So that's pretty darn awesome. And you know what I'll say is that when I first heard it and he said, Oh, I bought synth. I said, okay, great. You know, I'd like to see it. And, but a lot of synth technologies, I'm not even say software synths, but hardware synths. I don't know. They just feel like more of the same uh, on certain areas. And then, I don't know when I, when I saw this, it was some things that I just, um, you know, I think it's definitely leading the pack and, 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 and it's affordable. I, you know what? I can't agree with you more because like the last couple of NAMM shows, I go to the Roland and you go to the Korgs and it's like, okay, that's, yeah, that's cool. It's another Rompler, another version, another something like that. And there's, meanwhile, there's great little modules that are coming out and great little sense. And, and, you know, one of my favorites is sequential and they're always doing some really cool, amazing little things in there. So it's so good to see these guys, you know, come up with some stuff because it's kind of gotten boring at the top, you know, there's like, it just seems like a, sometimes a lot of repackaged and then some of their design choices for their knobs and the way that it just looks like I, I look at Roland and man, I don't think they've had a good looking 
synth in a long time. I mean, come on. These are the guys that had, you know, the Jupiter 8 that had these amazing synths. And then it just got to a point where it just got all homogenized. And then, I mean, for like, I would say 10 years, I could not line up what synth came after what synth because they all kind of look the same. They'll kind of have that same vibe about the U twenty, the D five, the D ten. That's what yeah, I was thinking. Yeah. If, if there was truth in model numbers, by now Roland would just release like the D fifty billion, and then. <laughs> 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 you know, Are you there? Do we lose audio? everyone is frozen uh, okay we just unfroze okay are we back we think we're back that was kind of crazy what it was always good for me i never had a problem oh <laughs> yeah, i don't think i did either i i lost i lost the audio oh i was just, I'm oh. saying that that not only is it a great sounding synth but as a controller it's got some amazing controller uh parameters and hardware on it that that makes it pretty cool as well you said yeah. the pads were after touch too. Uh, were yeah, yeah, uh, after, right? Yeah, those also do poly after touch. Poly after touch is critical to the whole performance of the sounds and stuff. We, uh, you know, also in CS80 style did the full length four octave ribbon controller. And uh, to go back to what you're talking about with the ARP controls and why there's so many ARP knobs, part of what I wanted to do is make this thing where it is a performance instrument where, you know, the guys that I liked, like Vangelis, and then they took, they didn't just, you know, play notes and just trigger on and off. They, they used the velocity, they used the aftertouch, they, they brought in the dynamics and stuff. And I'm a, I'm a sax player myself, come from that. And there's expression and expressivity that you can do in that, just like a guitar player can, you know, based on the way that they pick it, or even the part of the finger that they're using on stuff. So mm. to me, a synthesizer should also have that kind of ability put into it um, and if all you're doing is triggering on and off you know you're you're limiting that part of of how do you put yourself into the sound um, so yeah like the arp i wanted where you could actually play the arp where the arp's not playing the synth but you're playing the arp yeah it's amazing i just looked it up 12.99 sweetwater <laughs> it's so cool. are they in stock uh i'll tell you right yeah now. yeah they are they are in stock right now yes they are in stock so uh so let's see this is probably going to go up by friday maybe saturday so hopefully they'll still be in stock <laughs> maybe this yeah, will be yeah, somebody's we to, pandemic toy you know <laughs> we're able to finally fill up the back order stream so yeah uh, brandon I was just going to say, I think it might be my pandemic toy. <laughs> I may have to pick one up. This is looking cool. And I'm loving that ribbon controller. That's awesome. I love doing the bends on those things. That's yeah, you can do bends. You can assign it to any parameter within the synth. And then it has a theremin mode, so you can actually trigger notes from it and play it like a theremin. Yeah, that's you what I'm talking about. The, you cool. can use the mod wheel inverted to do volume like you would with your hand on a theremin. That's oh, cool. So cool. <laughs> that is so great. Well, hey, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us because this was fantastic. And I'm glad we got you here talking about this than earlier talking about, you know, some software set. So this is really great. But as the more I talk about this, the more I'm like, man, 
Roland and Korg, they used to be so good. <laughs> Korg just re-released the ARP 2600, okay? Right. You know, they give used them to, some love. For like the I love said, but they used to be. They used to be so good. It's just, I don't know. It's, you know, and, and let's not even talk about Yamaha. I mean, they're all good. I, I, you know, they're all doing their thing, but you just wish there was some really cool um, new stuff. That's the best way I can say. Can I I everybody, really- everybody has their slot that they run in. Yeah, you know, they've all got the lane that they run in and they speak to different customers. So, you know, I think that uh, Korg's doing some cool stuff. I like that they re-released the wave state. Uh, you know, the guys like Modal. Modal has been kicking out big synths for a long time. I'm a huge Waldorf fan. Uh, always been a Waldorf fan going back to pre-Waldorf PPG. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're all, there's good stuff coming from everybody right now. So, I would say, if anything, we're really in the glory days of synthesis. It's not back in the 70s. It's, you look at the stuff going on in modular world today, there's so many interesting modules. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good time to be in synthesizers. Yes. I haven't been excited about a synthesizer in 25 years until today. <laughs> I can't agree with Bobby. Bobby's my hero. <laughs> Can I show, while we're on the topic, can I show you guys a quick bit of vintage synthesizer porn? Because I know Glenn will appreciate this very much. So, um, you know, a lot of what I've been doing in my spare time has been getting my studio ready um, and fixing up a ton of my old keyboards just tonight. I just completely redoing it from stem to stern. It has a brand new keyboard that has a beautiful feeling and that is not clacky or awful. I took the entire thing apart. I deoxided every knob, every slider, everything. Can I give you mine? No. (laughs) And then I went and even replaced the knob top. So they're all shiny silver now. It sounds, oh, and I recapped it. So if you have an old Pro One and you haven't replaced the uh, power capacitors inside, do so. And you will see how much better it sounds. It's yeah, amazing. I've got my Pro One back here. Yeah. Such <laughs> a beautiful instrument. Glenn, if you, if you want to replace the keyboard, if you've got the old clacky keyboard, I'll send you the information about where you can buy one from somebody in Sweden oh, cool. who makes a, wow. a drop-in I, replacement for the keyboard. Oh, well, I actually redid the bushings on mine about two years ago, so it doesn't do the, the clack, clack, clack anymore. But uh, it's still the J-Wire, so... It'll you hit the key and it's you know on occasion. But I've I've got I've got another one that I've been working on, which is down here, which is an Overheim four voice. Oh wow! And uh, that thing was a basket case when I got it, and I've had to like replace every active component and a bunch of the past. All the it was recapped all the way through every forty series chip had to be replaced in the thing. Um, I didn't do the programmer myself. I took it down to Rosen Sound and yeah. I said, here, you guys do this part. <laughs> uh, Glenn, it, it's, coming, it's coming to life. <laughs> you've got the most awesome little evil genius liar there, you know? I could just, your little lab is the coolest thing ever with all those <laughs> keyboards and everything. I just wanna say, totally yeah, it's cool. All, I can buy them, <laughs> you know, based on research. I need to do research. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we're going to uh, start wrapping this up. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. And I can't tell you, you know, and you gave such a 
politically correct answer on the whole synth thing, but I still think the big boys have <laughs> they haven't stepped up. All right, I'm just saying. Uh, I'm just saying, you know. And and look, I built my career on all the early Rollins and all the early Yamahas and all that stuff. Like, you know, you couldn't go out without a JD800. There wasn't a tour that wasn't out there, and and every tour had you know several dx7s back in the day and so it's like there was some really classic great stuff and and then as you just got in i think some of those synth manufacturers just got into the whole rompler thing and then they just they kind of stayed in like you said stayed in their lane and meanwhile software is starting to develop and you get these amazing software synths but it's so great to see something like your synth because your synth is a hardware that absolutely can go head to head with any software that's out there and sounds phenomenal so it's it's pretty it's pretty cool so thank you so much thank you thanks for having me um anybody working on anything fun and exciting that they want to talk about any any cool projects anybody going crazy Anybody? I, I went to the mall the other day because it was open. They opened the mall, and if you go to my Instagram, the yeah, they opened the mall. And if you go to my Instagram, Mike three with this lowercase o, I posted pictures because it was like the zombie apocalypse. There was the mall was open, but like four stores were open, and it looked it was it really wigged me out. It looked creepy and and crazy and it's just like oh my goodness and this the stories that i was talking to the people you know that were there um just the stories of the last day that they were open sounded so much like you know Mm -hmm. the comics the comet is coming to hit the earth and so let's all prepare you know they had to get everything ready because they didn't know how long they were going to be locked down for so it was crazy but yeah so i'm ready to get out i'm ready for things to open but in in a safe way and let's just hope it keeps going yeah i wouldn't try that first batch of mrs field's cookies (laughs) (laughs) they want to wait for the second batch you know it's speaking of that i was walking by jamba juice and i looked inside and jamba juice you know all their fridge the freezers they had that all that hum but all their um where they had the juices they all had water in them and they were all running so they were all like cycling the water in them and i thought that's pretty smart you know you keep all the rubber hydrated and you keep it all you know all coming clean but hopefully somebody goes in there and you know has changed the water in the last two months. <laughs> uh, uh, but anybody, anybody working on anything? Yeah, next Tuesday, actually, I'm starting a five-day Facebook, a free Facebook workshop. There's a session every day. It's fill your calendar. It's how to stay busy. So it's everything I know on the subject. So it's going to be on Facebook, on a special Facebook group. Go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash full calendar. And just has to be let in. So this starts on on next Tuesday, June 2nd, goes for five days. It's free. And is it only live or can you download it or can you watch it at your convenience? You can watch it at your convenience. It's great. Is it tailored to the music business or uh, yes it's just it's just for the music business it's not for newbies it's only for people that have been around have some experience um i just want to give bobby a, a quick plug not that he needs it from me but he does these uh sessions where you can ask him 
questions and answers. And I kind of sat in on, on one. I don't know if you saw me, Bobby, but I kind of snuck in there and they're really good. And I don't know how often you do it, but since I follow you on your social media, I see when they pop up and I recommend anybody who's listening to us to, uh, follow Bobby because he does these really cool things and he answers questions. And it's really, it's really, it's just such a wealth of knowledge. Like it's just pretty, I've lost so much money to Bobby. (laughs) He'll go like, he'll go, Oh, you should buy this. It's really good. I'm like, Oh shit. All right. (laughs) You know, Brady, were you going to say something? Oh yeah. Not really a project, but um, I recorded uh, myself destroying a piano the other day. So that was fun. (laughs) Somebody had left. I just found it on the side of the street a couple, you know, actually a couple months ago. So then it sat outside and weathered. So (laughs) it was, uh, it had some flavor, but anyways, yeah. Ripping, you know, cranking the strings with crowbars until they pop and, you know, ripping off pieces of the wood and, you know, got some good sounds. Oh, that's great. That's good. Yeah, I use the down three octaves and boom. <laughs> oh yeah, I use the CO hundred K, the Sankin, oh. yep. as well as the uh, CSS five. Um, wow, so I favorite. got those two. Yeah, yeah, yep. mine that's too. Amazing. That's fantastic. So that was fun. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> All right, gang. Well, thank you so much for joining us and and sticking it out with us. And I will say our our downloads have been slowly climbing, 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 climbing. They kind of hit a low, but we're getting we're like we after six people yet <laughs> we're past seven we're now All right. to, we're now to 11 people no we get um like the last podcast that i put up was about 400 downloads for a weekly show so they're getting back up you know obviously we were up there at the 1200s and some of them were as, as high as 10,000. but you know during this whole time it's just they're climbing some of them our 200th anniversary one i think we had like 800 downloads so we're getting back up to our, our thousand um, mark but um it's pretty cool getting a lot of really good feedback and just people are enjoying this but i want to thank you guys for for sticking with this and it's it's such a great little like timeline we've been doing this for 14 years like i always say we were there before the iphone and we've come all the way through this <clears throat> brand new paradigm of this the new music this whole pandemic and see what's going to happen afterwards so i'm really curious to see what what goes on for this so i just want to thank everybody and if you have any comments or questions you can watch bobby osinski's podcast because he'll probably answer it a little bit better than i could (laughs) (laughs) if you want to reach any of the guys you can send us a a question at audio at nowcastnetwork.com that's audio at nowcastnetwork.com but for myself and all the guys thanks for listening stay safe out there and we'll see you next week so you get them all going. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbitier, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time. <laughs>